0: Gaming NBS episode 142. Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean.
1: And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Glad to have you along for the ride. Sean, it's Memorial Day weekend here. How you doing, man? This is Memorial Day weekend and I'm doing just great Brett how are you not too bad I'm kind of liking the fact that I've got Monday off it hate you you know it, it sucks that it's you know it's Memorial Day so it's the you know r- remember those who didn't come back which sucks obviously thinking about people who who died in service type of thing so <clears throat> that's but on the plus side is you know I do have an extra day off of work so that's kind of nice and I don't yes. really wa- I really don't want to go to work tomorrow so got that going for me yeah, Work sucks, <laughs> it totally does. It's totally not fun. Uh, what my uh, <coughs> my oldest boy graduated from high school, so that was cool. Valedictorians, that was nice. Oh. Got that done, and after this, he'll be uh, in September, he ships out, he'll be a U.S. Airman. So let's see, let's see how he does there.
0: Airman,
1: Air Force, Airman, you know, guys, my father. <laughs> na, 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 oh my God. Shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done. Anyway, that's all it's new here. Shall we move on? Yes. Oh boy, we both took a drink at the same time. Nice little dead air space there for about 30 seconds. So, announcements. Um, Submissions are still open. Or, uh, will be for a while uh, for Game GameHoleCon. And if you want to run under our banner, under the Gaming and BS banner, as folks did last year and some people continue to wish to do, uh shoot Sean and I a note so we can uh, pimp your game, uh, help you get some players for it and all that good stuff. So I know I've got my uh, – I'll be running at least one Streets of Avalon. Sean, you're going to do at least – what What were you going to do? Yeah, I don't something? know,
0: man. I don't know. Some game.
1: Some game? Okay. Sean's going to try his hand at game mastering. <laughs> It'll be fun. Somebody can uh, get in there. We'll hand out um, train tickets, little conductor hats for all the kids. It'll train! be fun. Train!
0: Did somebody say Train! <laughs>
1: And while Sean will not join me at Origins, I will be there. Uh, I know Wayne Humphrey, Kev Thulu, Austin, and a whole host of other folks will be there. Um, Humphrey, Thulu, and I are gonna, and uh, Austin are gonna. We're sorting out our ride scenario, trying to see if we're gonna carpool down, how the hell we're all gonna get down there. So anyway, that'll be fun. That's coming up right quick. Dude, I
0: think you should. uh, I think you should Captain America from uh, Easy Rider. <laughs> right, right. Harley Davidson put Wayne Humphrey on the back with a football helmet on.
1: That would that actually might be fun to do. <laughs> I'll see if I can get him to do that. Anyway, um we do still have the old school encounter contest um, that we're doing in conjunction with our buddy Scott Hubbs over at Hobbs and Friends of the OSR. So some, um, know,
0: him, no, some know him as Jason Hobbs, but some, I, some know him as some, Jason
1: Hobbs. Yeah, those not who not everybody those who aren't in the know call him That's Jason. Right. The rest of us. Scott hubs. Anyhow, that's going link in the show notes. That's wrapping up right quick folks. So, um, if you want to get in, get in and get it done. And of course, um, speaking of conventions and getting things done, queen city conquest has got a couple days left as of today. I think they're looking at, well, not much by the time this thing drops on Tuesday, which will be may do, 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 do. Where's my calendar. Anyway, today is Sunday, the 28th. So by the time the sucker drops on Tuesday, the 30th, um, They'll be darn near done with their Kickstarter. I don't. Last I checked two days ago, they had not quite hit their funding. So <laughs> I was telling folks uh, online, a couple of people I knew, I'm like, you know, throw them 10 bucks If you got some cash, you can help the locals in that area, the gamers, get to the convention. I know I'm not going to be able to make Queen City this year, but it's a hell of a good convention. So if you can support it, I you know, would love you to have, have you support it. That would be great. Anything else, Sean? No. Let's random encounter it up then, dude.
0: Random encounter. Dent, you gonna go, Brad? Or you want me to go? I'll go.
1: Jared Rasher commented (laughs) on episode 141 Supervillains. Listening to the Supervillains episode got me thinking about what's arguably the opposite structure to an overall campaign or major story arc antagonist, the Force of Nature. I'm not just talking about, oh, winters are here around here kind of suck. I mean, (laughs) there is a force that may and or significantly alter the campaign setting that can be opposed or stopped in some manner. But this isn't automatically an intelligent or malevolent being. For example, an ancient curse that has to be undone, whose caster is long dead or a convergence of multiple realities. That's going to cause massive destruction as realities collide and trying to f- find out why this is happening, how to create a buffer. Uh, even going, <coughs> excuse me, with the uh, intelligent force of nature route, you have characters like Galactus from Marvel comics, who isn't really evil. He just needs to eat planets to survive. He doesn't have a master plan to take over your world or an axe to grind. He just needs to eat, and your planet was the next one nearest, the closest hyperspace off ramp. Can you negotiate with them to keep them from a- eating your world? Can you find some kind of compromise? It could be, um, could be interesting to see what kind of "quote unquote" normal campaign antagonists pop up in light of the greater, more elemental looming threat. Can you convince your normal nemesis that now isn't the right time to fight because there are bigger things happening? Or do you off people that you might have had mercy on at one time because you may need, excuse, excuse me, because you need to make sure they don't distract you when things get really bad? Hmm. That's an interesting thought, Jared. I mean, that's kind of a, <coughs> excuse me, one of those steps where the enemy of my enemy is my friend type of scenario where you may normally be at odds. Um, this was actually very popular in my, <laughs> in my vampire campaigns. Um, back in the day because the different clans would be at each other's throats, a little PvP action, introduce something bigger, bad or stronger. Everybody goes, alright, time to put this aside. We gotta go deal with this problem. When we're done, I'll kick your ass again but we have to deal with this larger problem first. So, that's a good, uh, that's a good component too. That is almost the making the villain even more super. It's so bad, even you and the usual bad guys have to team up. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Next one is for you, sir.
0: Craig Huber. Uh, Let's see, where am
1: I? I lost my You are horribly distracted. Craig Huber. (laughs) I don't know what he's doing over there, but he looks like he's tapping around.
0: On Rogues and Thieves, on episode 140, regarding Thieves and Rogues, etc. I love playing Rogues in most systems due to the jack-of-all-trades-slash-skill-monkey nature of the typical implementation. Rogue mage combinations like the Arcane Trickster in 5e or Nightblade in RM. It's RM. Rollmaster. Oh, yeah, see, I wouldn't have picked that up. Are particular favorites of mine. On a separate note, I have a viewpoint of rogues I'd like to run by you. Three of the four original class templates seem associated with different aspects of existence. Fighters focus on physical effort. Mages on mental effort, clerics on spiritual effort. But rogues were always the odd man out, as it were. In a similar vein, what do you think about characterizing rogues as a folk, rogues as focused on awareness? Increasing it in themselves and reducing it in others. Just a thought. As always, great work. I look forward to your podcast each week.
1: You know that's interesting, Craig. Because when I was listening to that to Sean read that off, I thought, well, you know, <clears throat> prior pri- previous to the Bard being introduced, I'm like, you know, thieves almost take the if you got fighters are physical, mages mental, cleric spiritual, are rogue social. Um, but your your points there around them, kind of from an awareness perspective, um, is similar. Is what well, it's not quite the not the social aspect of it, but that's what I. What where my head went when I when I was reading this, or I should say, when Sean was reading out loud there. So interesting. I do think having rogues, they're they're focused on awareness, increasing or decreasing it, in others being able to sneak and so on. That's interesting, huh? Interesting. I do. I'll tell you what, though. A lot of people that I have talked to since this episode was out, and even just talking to some of my buddies who uh, love to play rogues. What you're saying here, Craig, is that the same reason a lot of my friends like to play rogues and thieves is the uh, the tons of skills, being able to be sneaky, and um, being able to do a lot of really cool stuff without having to necessarily stick your neck out on the line like the fighters and clerics do. Or being such a wuss, as a, traditionally anyway, as the mage is. So, interesting.
0: I think that nimble just comes to mind. Nimble, yeah. I like nimble, that. agile, junkie. <clears throat> mm-hmm.
1: All right, good stuff, though. Thank you very much, Craig. On to Bill Durfrey on Thieves. Bill wrote in, and he says, Enjoying the character class series, you should mention multi-class thievery. I was a human thief in a party with a couple of elves. Things went missing. I got blamed and shook down. We were at a door in a dungeon when the elf says, I listen at the door. Wow, that SOB. I pushed him through the door. He's using a thief skill. He's your thief. Good times. <laughs> That's kind of funny. I think like I said this on the show, a buddy of mine loved to play halfling thieves. And my joke was I was going to tie him to the end of a 10-foot pole and use him like a cotton swab to just kind of squish down the hallways to check for traps and things. <laughs> it is kind of fun, though. We, I do recall that when he said getting shaken down, I do recall a friend of mine being the thief, always acting super sneaky in our high school group. And finally, we had enough of Dave. We got four gash. Dave guys tied him down, shake his character down, come to find out it wasn't him. It was the mage. Son of a bitch. <laughs> the mage was blaming the thief. He was squirreling stuff away and basically taking things. But because he was so damn good at it, we never noticed him. But the thief was uh, was actually the most up and up between the two of them. Interesting. Next one is yours, sir.
0: Crimfan comments on the thief. The original thief was clearly an homage to Lankmar on the part of Gygax, though Bilbo Baggins made the halfling thief, as did the need for a burglar. Anyway, the rogue can be a great character. I think it got a lot of bad press back in the day because it was a criminal and there was a certain amount of mad mothers against Dungeons & Dragons in times long ago. It also was pushed into a particular niche of the trap detector, which was tough to manage. I think it tended to attract a certain type of, how shall I say it, mildly antisocial or foolishly greedy player who didn't help. Needling, needling, needing the trap detector, it was often easy to play a thief simply by being a multi-class. So you had the needed skill covered, but got to do something else fun. You open it up, though. There's a lot one can do.
1: I think that last statement, Kermfan, fan, is the key piece, and that's what Sean and I were trying to to get through. And and you're dead on there, right? Is that you don't you're not just the trap detector. You don't just tie the you know halfling thief to the end of the ten foot pole and swab the dungeon corridor looking for pit traps and scythes and you know things full of uh, black ooze that'll drop on you or whatever. Um, <clears throat> but the point is, is that if you take that thief and open it up a little bit is it the face, is it a face man thief? Is it the charismatic person like that? Or is it the, is it a trap detector? Is it a pickpocket just, or how do they approach different things and making it more than, um, than just the old school caricature of itself, I guess. And that's kind of what Sean are trying to, to do, especially with newer players. Again, a lot of our listeners are not new, but just kind of thinking about it again, even if it's not something that you personally need, but when you talk to, that newer player out there it's like hey you know just because all thief or a rogue has to do x no don't be a caricature of that rogue or thief be your own version of it yeah those things are things to build off of they're not the only trick in that deck so good stuff your own be your own version be your own thief be your own thief damn it that's what we're saying yeah
0: yeah all right let's get into the main topic
1: main topic god brett what are we talking about well chris lang wrote into us and had asked a question he said well he says my question is when your players know they're playing a supernatural horror game what are some ways to rend their understanding of the world to hopefully make them uncomfortable due to lack of understanding of the world and and uh, as much as their character should be feeling so <laughs> i i've done this um a number of times myself whether or not i'm like the an expert on this or not, I, I don't know. I mean, you'd have to play with me to see if I'm any good at it. I have no idea. Um, but it, I think we, Sean and I have talked about this a little bit before, about the whole, like, where DCC talks about don't say what the monster is, describe the monster. You don't know, say, oh, there's five goblins in the room. You describe what they look like or some variation on it, and if the players decide they're goblins or call them kobolds or whatever, they can run with it. It's a similar approach when you're talking about this type of thing. It's not just a monster, though. It's like in a supernatural horror game, I'm thinking Call of Cthulhu or um, something along those lines. Even a uh, kind of a modern you know, magic in the real world, like a Dresden Files or something, when you want – the world doesn't work the way you thought it would. And how do you make that a thing that the players can really get into as opposed to saying, well – you know here's a list of monsters that you encounter, yeah, everybody knows that there's really elves or that there's the the fairies and blah blah blah. so so Sean, before we dive in too deep, um when you think about this topic, supernatural horror, trying to keep things mysterious, is there um is there a piece of this that you're like, yeah, I, I don't know how to do this or that I you know that you've seen done really well have you had, have you had good examples of it or anything along those lines?
0: Uh, I don't run a ton of horror. Based games,
1: um we'll just think supernatural I, if nothing else. The keeping thing is mysterious because I think that's portable, right?
0: Supernatural. Oh God! Supernatural.
1: That's a seventies tune. Uh, uh, okay, old man. I just
0: feel like dancing tonight,
1: Brett. I don't know what to, I don't know what to say <laughs> Speaking about supernatural horror, people, <laughs> I decided to let Sean cut loose and sing an entire verse. Shake what your mama gave you. Anyway, so from the keeping things mysterious files. Sorry. Or keeping, you know, introducing those components, have you encountered it done really well, or even done really poorly, and what you hated?
0: Uh, um. Ah, mm, uh, thinking. Ooh.
1: Man of few words but many sounds. <laughs>
0: God, my wife tells me I grunt too much. Um. Go figure. I think that I have very little firsthand experience. Dealing with a lot of super I just—it's not a genre that I usually play. That's the problem. Like I, mean, I don't have—not a—I don't play vampire. I don't play Cthulhu. I'm not into the over-the-top supernatural horror. But going into keeping things mysterious, or I guess that's the thing. Are we—are we talking horror? Or are we talking keeping things mysterious, or one end of the same?
1: I think we can talk about both. I think. Part of it is that if you're talking about keeping things mysterious, the cool part about this to me is that it resonates both ways. I've got more experience than you in the the horror aspects of it, but I, you've played a lot as well, and I think that we can talk about just keeping things mysterious in general. That's a portable concept that goes from genre to genre. Even if it's, yes. even if it's a spy game, you know, keeping it mysterious so you right. don't necessarily know who's gonna. You know, betray you or whatever the case is.
0: Well, I agree, and I guess what I'm getting at is, when you talk about keeping things mysterious, are we talking about keeping them mysterious in an effort to uh, to tie that into the supernatural horror component? I,
1: I think what we want to do here, I'm going, we're going to use supernatural horror as kind of the uh, the template, if you will, for this discussion. But the idea is to keep the setting itself mysterious. Right, so if you're playing a Wilderness of Mirrors type of spy game or a Cold War game, John Le Carre, and you're trying to figure out who the mole is, the setting is mysterious. You know that it's the setting, and how do we make that a thing? So, <clears throat> excuse me. One of the pieces that I think Chris is getting at is when the players know what you're into. Hey, we're going to play this Wilderness of Mirrors spy game. Hey, we're going to play this supernatural horror game. And that concept of oh, how do I make my players not want to metagame? Oh, that's a that's a banshee, uh, f- and that does you know this type of damage, or it does this type of thing, or blah blah blah. Or oh, that's a it's clearly a burned spy from you know the NKVD, and here's the blah blah blah. You know how, how do you <clears throat> excuse me? How how do you not get your players to do it? One of the pieces, in my opinion, is that it doesn't hurt to have. It doesn't hurt to have the discussion right out of the gate where, Sean, if you're going to run a Cold War spy game, say, guys, look, it's a Cold War spy game. Think Cold War. Don't think about what you know now, other than like a reference point, but don't say, oh, yeah, that was clearly... It's got to be the thing that the Russians were doing because I know that is historical fact. You know, try to live in the moment. Suspend your disbelief as much as you can. Get into the time period or get into that setting. And I really think that getting buy in from your players is important there. Trying to get them to agree, at least out loud and to you and the rest of the group at the table, look, we're gonna do our best not to metagame any more than we have to, you know, to come up with the answers or the solutions to what the supernatural horror is, but we want to experience it as much as from our from the character's eyes. Does that make sense?
0: It does. And I think you have to you have to set the tone very early on and you do that with the players, and then you you kind of keep that going. One, one of the things I think also gets lost on some of this is that you uh, – uh, sometimes we get into a role-playing game, and it's dink-around time sometimes. It's hard to get into serious mode. Uh, I am guilty of it on the player side. I'm guilty of it on the GM side. I think that's a big one. And if you, it's hard, man, this is one. I think this is a hard job. I think horror and like keeping the serious business serious is like really can be
1: really tough. Well, it can be, especially if you've got a group of, uh, of gamers that are getting together and everybody's like, you know what? I, um, I'm playing a game. I'm here to have a certain type of fun. It's a, kind of a type of fun thing, right? <clears throat> If I grab a guy like Kev Thule and I sit down and say, you know, we're going to play this, um, Kevin likes emotional bleed in his games. You know, when I ran the Streets of Avalon with him and his character, we got to a point where he had to go have a discussion with a girl who he was in love with, who got killed, and there's this horrible, this you know, this very heart-wrenching. Seeing that he and I had back and forth with with the surviving members of this family, and he loves that stuff. He really gets in that. He really wants to to do that. And the rest of the group in that game, were really invested in that type of kind of a bleed type of scenario. But if everyone's like, "Look, I just want to kill monsters and take their shit, man. I really don't want to fuck about with that because I've had a really rough day, and so is you know." So is Ange, and so is this other person, and so is you know Chris. We just want to kill stuff, and that that's it, man. Let's just do a dungeon crawl. <clears throat> it doesn't it doesn't hurt to, I guess, to make sure that every. I guess that goes to the the first point I was trying to get to is everybody's got to want to do that, and then you're right, you have to set that right out of the gate.
0: Yeah, it's just really tough going back to what you were saying. Is you get done with a day of work or whatever it is, or right. you don't get to together very often. And then when you play, it's all about, and because you're, because playing is wanting to enjoy something, and then it becomes more serious, right? Because then you're yep. taking something that you want to kind of be—I don't wouldn't say lighthearted, because you want to have fun, but at the same time, when you get into horror, supernatural horror, and you're trying to get into that, it, it's ugh. Well, it, co- it contradicts kind of the fun piece sometimes.
1: It can, unless the, unless that's the type of fun you're into, right? So yes. I am, and a lot of my a lot of folks I play with regularly are as well. So I'll probably throw a couple examples out, even from my lamentation of flame princess game current. But so <clears throat> a couple of things I jotted down with, you know, basically in my opinion, this a lot of this, this a lot of this, most of what we need to do is get the setting to ooze this thing right it needs to be supernatural you need to feel things are weird and so on and one of the ways to do that is to when the players are asking me questions when the players are saying hey what's over here what is what's in the bar what's in um, what's in um, in, in the dungeon room or in the streets at night or whatever the case whatever the setting is is even if it's sci-fi fantasy modern whatever is give the answers in the perspective of the characters right so instead of saying well you know Sean, you would see x it when you can it this is a, for me anyway is i I try to say what's your character's name? Oh, your name's Fionn. so instead of saying Emily, this, I say Fionn is gonna see this or Vassar sees this thing, or you know instead of Kevin, you know what's his character's name this time oh it's you know it's Victor, oh, it's this other thing in this game. What you wanna do is describe it in the perspective of the character, and if you're a halfling. You know, size difference. That can that's a different perspective than, say, the half orc standing next to you or the dragonborn, um, for from like a D and D setting, where you say, hey, from a halfling perspective, you would see, you know, this is what the room looks like, um, and sometimes you can have different, even just um, what I'm saying, height perspective, all that stuff, take into account what a character, his or herself would see instead of just describing a flat what the room looks like, which allows me to say. Sean's character, who's a burned ex KGB spy in this game, will look at the room differently than somebody else who's playing a local street cop who has an, a drinking problem. Oh, <clears throat> describing the room differently to those two types of people helps give the setting in a very character-specific way. And that, to me, helps to also set a serious tone when I do that. Your character sees it like this. This is a very special hand delivered description just for Sean's character versus one for Angela's character or one for Al- Aline or, or Eileen or whomever. You know, just doing that can help. That can be a bit of work, but it's uh, it's a thing that I try to do. Does that make sense, Sean? Am I going crazy? It does, it does make
0: sense. And I think that that's a good approach and I uh, can appreciate that. They're one of the things that aggravates the snot out of me. Uh, is when the Game Master refers to the players all the time. Like, hey, Sean, you see this. I'm like, I am not there.
1: I got to say that that is a, from a player's perspective, don't be afraid to remind the remind the Game Master what your character's name is. If that means you build your own table tent, put it in front of you, um, <laughs> as Kevin did for me in one game session, he goes, boom, 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 we put out table tents for my Bad Magic game. It was really helpful. Because when you get together once a month to game with with these folks, sometimes you forget who each player character is. So don't be afraid as a player to reach out and do that. So the other piece that comes to me when I answer is Q&A or even descriptions of any kind. When I'm talking supernatural or disbelief, mystery, alien feeling for a setting, the answers I give tend to be in (coughs) either abstracts and absolutes, you know. It feels kind of warm in the room. You're not sure if it's like a salty sea air or something. It just—it feels weird. And people start to probe and ask different questions and so forth. And when you give an answer in an absolute, you are positive. You've seen this person before. You're certain that's the same woman you saw at the funeral of your of your buddy from the you know from the cop movie. Oh, you're you're dead certain. This is this other thing. You're absolutely positive using those type of absolutes and then mixing in some of the abstracts can be interesting as well. It, it gives this weird feeling that I'm dead certain about X, but everything else around it is nebulous. You're positive. You've seen her before, but you can't remember where. So that absolute suddenly becomes, where have I seen her before? Is she, what's she dressed like? Well, she's wearing what looks like a, you know, plainclothes police officer's uniform. Well, that's weird. I do, do. I know anybody like that? And it just gets you feeling and thinking not everything's what it seems like the absolute knowledge you believe you should have. Doesn't always, um, isn't always super reliable because you can't always draw the correlation because there's that abstract fuzzy piece that's played around it. Again, this is setting things up when you're doing that. <clears throat> even in when the game is rolling, um, And you're like, okay, it's, you, you've seen a ghoul, you've seen some horrible, nefarious something that has um, eaten somebody or taken a bite out of your partner. And it looks, you know, it kind of looks like maybe a dog bit this guy, or maybe it's a cat, some kind of a large fang thing, but you're positive it wasn't a person. Nebulousness mixed with an absolute. Gives the players like, okay, I know something based on my character. Again, my character's forensic pathologist. I know it wasn't a person. It has to be an animal. I'm not sure what kind of animal. There's a vagary there, but that absolute lets them know that, hey, I know something, but not enough, and I want to probe. I want to figure out what the what the missing piece is. I want to get more absolutes and less abstracts out of this. Does that ring a bell for you, Sean? Or my what do you think? It animal? does.
0: It does ring a bell. But I would also go as far to do. I would. I would make an absolute and say, "Hey, you, Brett. No, you've never met this person." And Brett can go say, "Oh, okay. I know I've never met them, but yet that person knows you, introduces you, actually says how they've met you at a particular event."
1: Yes, if that—I mean, if that's a thing, like, "Oh, we met and i have known you. We dated in college." You're like, "I have no memory of that." Brett, Sean, have I ever seen that before? No, Brett, you've never. You have no memory of this person. Can I make a roll? Go ahead. Click. Now, you know nothing. Son of a bitch. Um, and that weird absolute that somebody else is bringing to you and you don't know anything about it, that abstractness in your own head, like, I don't know where the fuck that just came from. That is creepy, and it adds a layer of mystery and a feeling of an alienism, right, where something's out of place and you're not quite sure why. The other thing I would go with is Feeling. Um, I, I like to, I try not to skimp on the way some things feel. Look, I mean, all your senses, touch, taste, smell, sight, more than just visual, get into those things. Um, touch is really fun. Even if you don't, even if the player character isn't touching something, you know, so we're, we're playing and Emily's like, you know what? I want to go. I'm looking at this thing. What do you think? I go, if it, it looks like it would probably have this weird squishy feeling and using touch descriptions or feeling descriptions, even when the character isn't physically in contact with the thing can send waves of revulsion over the players. And um, it helps bring that again to the player. You feel a thing. It looks like it would feel a certain way. Again, this is all character focused driving it towards your character. You know, Fionn looks at something she sees this. It looks like it might feel this way if you were daring enough to touch it. Do you want to go touch it? You know that that's that's the thing that's left unanswered. So I really, when abstracts and that like Sean's example is, I've never met this woman before, but she's introducing herself to my character like she absolutely knows me. And as a game master, I would love it if Sean or I should say as a player, if if Sean's my game master, go. Bro, what do you feel about that? What's your character? What what is you know what does Max feel about that? Because my character's name is Max. What do you? What does Max feel about that? I'm ca- well, Matt, I'm kind of shocked. I'm a little dismayed. You know, um, I'm really not sure what that does. I kind of take a step back. Ask them what they do with those feelings, right? Because then again, not necessarily you, Sean, but what does Max do? What does Fiona do? What does Victor do? What does this other character do? Ask the character, ask the player what their character does with the feelings and all these descriptions you just gave them. Again, you've got these weird absolutes and some abstracts all kind of mashed together. What does your character do with this thing? And uh, I think that can be pretty powerful, too. It helps to, again, set the stage like you're in this. Weird shit is around you. What are you doing about this? Not just reacting to a narrative. You're working with the specifics that I'm giving you.
0: And that's good stuff, Brett.
1: Thanks, man. I would I try.
0: It is. And I'm not just saying that flippantly.
1: No, I know. You wouldn't lie to me. At least not on the air. No, <laughs> knowing that I have to face
0: you eventually.
1: Yeah, yeah, because if we're going to ride motorcycle tomorrow, and I think you lied to me, I'll run you over. Um, oh. <laughs> the other thing I've got, um, I was just thinking about how I've done this in the past, and one of the, my go-tos, is the answers that the the characters get, again, character focus, the answers the characters get on how and why something is the way it is, right? How is it possible that this door doesn't open anymore. You know, we came to this inn. Um, the door to the basement opened easily last night, and I can't get in at this time. The thief can't pick the lock. What the hell? What, what do you mean? It doesn't necessarily have to make sense in the immediate perspective. It may well be beyond understanding. And this is where the horror comes in, especially if you're talking Cthulhu horror, Lovecraftian. There's shit you just can't fucking get. It is so past <coughs> your human brain. You will not understand it. Now, there is you can take that too far and say well too bad you'll never understand it and players can feel weak um or that their character has no hope or there's no chance sometimes feeling hopeless it, it can be okay in a horror game but giving them again the absolutes and the abstracts saying you don't you're not positive why you can't get into the basement tonight it doesn't make any sense to you your character is positive there has to be a reason as to why you just can't figure it out right now And the characters, the players will say, well, you know, Max wants, I'm going to do this. You know, Max is worried or if they're talking in first person or however they're describing it. But again, as the game master, I'm talking to, you know, Emily's character. Why is she doing this? You know, she, she doesn't feel this way. Again, it's feelings about stuff. And if you don't understand how it works, that's a level of mystery. That adds on top of things. Something that worked perfectly fine yesterday doesn't work today in the same fucking circumstances. Why is that? I don't understand. I don't know why. That's okay. Um, It doesn't always have to be like a huge reveal. Like, oh, my God, it's all connected to the great Lord Cthulhu or, or Azathoth or something along those lines. But those types of things, how and why, making it not make sense or seemingly random or capricious in small ways, like you can't open a door. Or you wake up and it's dark outside. It wasn't just dark. Wait, wait. What do you mean? I just woke up. That doesn't make any sense. I, I thought I thought it was just only twelve hours had passed. Messing with small things like that helped to add a layer of an alien strangeness and just the whole "what the fuck is going on?" This is supernatural. Something weird is happening. When you played, um, when you played uh, Curse of Strahd and those types of things, did you? I guess in any games you played, John, have you? encounter that type of thing where you something isn't working you just you can't explain why but you've got you want you feel desperately that you need to figure out why no um uh
0: there was maybe one encounter that was similar something like that no Um, flat
1: no no never uh, i
0: know right um but it didn't it didn't occur very often the mystery that's a something that's been missing from some of the games that i either run or play is the
1: the horror or the mysterious piece of it um, so when I ran trailer Cthulhu for you, and I, I mean, don't don't tell me I did an awesome job if you think it sucked. Did you feel with the weird inkyness and the crazy bird things and the crows? Was there any of that feeling in that, or did that not sink, ring to you?
0: No, that did. Did that it? Did. Okay, that's yeah. good to know. Okay, it was, and I think that was kind of it was the strange piece that kept kind of coming up. It was a recurring piece of the the adventure that kind of made us scratch our head and go, what's going on and how do we tie that to,
1: I don't know, for lack of better words, curing it. I think one of the things you just hit on there is really important is that a recurring component. If you have a recurring type of strangeness in a supernatural horror game, that seems it fits the genre, right? It's kind of a trope in that space. Every time X occurs, I find a gold ring. Every time Y occurs, we see crows. In in the game, in the Trail of Cthulhu game I ran for Sean, Kevin, Jim, uh, Jim, and uh, and Wayne, crows being a thing. Like, okay, what the fuck is up with that? This is weird. It's crazy. And then the amp of the crows, and you play them down. There's bl- there's feathers here. What's going on? Messing with that stuff, having a a theme, um, that that plays through can really help in a supernatural perspective. Make you feel like you're getting close to. The cause that maybe that you the the big bad you need to fight, <laughs> the monster, the entity, whatever it is. Um, but also it it gets the players and their characters, they're like, I look around for feathers. Those fucking crows. It's gotta be the goddamn crows. The crows are involved. There's no feathers. Fuck, I'm positive it's the crows. The next character comes in and goes, What do you mean you're looking for there's no there's nothing here? It can't be the crows. Yes, it has to be. And you get that back and forth because a recurring element of the beyond my understanding. I don't know why the crows are involved. I don't know why I always find a gold piece by every corpse. I don't know why this is happening. Um, Having that reoccur adds to a level of supernatural horror and and that mysterious component, especially the mysterious components to what the hell. And it breaks the, the understanding of the world. Like, um, like Chris was asking about, you know, it, it takes anything that does this, it's not normal, but it's happening more than once. It's happening more than half. Fuck, this happens every time. It breaks what you think the world should be doing and acts differently, and then becomes something that you're worried about.
0: Yeah, I think that's the the gist of it is is exactly that. Mm-hmm. When you expect something to work a particular way, and then it doesn't for whatever reason, and then how do your characters adapt to that? It's also we mentioned it earlier is the not not everything is familiar i mean the things that you may think are familiar are suddenly not familiar or you know going to to the, the dcc pieces you don't tell the characters what the monster is necessarily and yeah that could be any fantasy rpg or role-playing game is you don't divulge what it is and they're to there to uncover it Absolutely. So a lot of these kind of little nuances and Brett sums it up pretty succinctly throughout is will help with what Chris is trying to achieve.
1: Yes, I think so.
0: So if you take little bits and pieces and you write them down and you're like, okay, monster, how do you describe the monster? What is the monster? Does the monster even have to have a definitive identity? Like, when you look it up in the monster manual, are you going to find your monster? And if you do, that's fine. But if you don't, that's that's also cool because then the players can't relate back to it. But if it's in the monster manual or whatever, don't ever tell them what it is and, don't, and change maybe some traits of it that lead it to not align with what they're
1: going to put in their head. Do something yeah. as simple as add a calling card, right? So that, that right. the bugbear's that are the problem their calling card is they leave a piece uh they leave five oak leaves you know or whatever or they leave five oak leaves um stuffed in the mouth of somebody what the hell is that i don't know every time i find somebody there's five oak leaves stuffed in their mouth i'm just making that up maybe it's a sign stupid but in a supernatural horror game what is the calling card of the ghost that haunts this house it smells like sulfur it does this what about the the weird supernatural ghoulish creatures that are cannibalizing the homeless. I'm trying to figure out what the problem is because they attacked me. They always do X or something leads you to them. There's a scent, there's a smell, there's a touch, a taste, a tangible thing. What is that creature's calling card or cards signs that they have been there? They're going to take the players a long fucking time to figure out exactly that it's a horrible, nasty other, you know, something from outer space monster that happens to, you know, look like a bird in Sean's case for my trailer Cthulhu game. It takes a long time to figure that out. The whole campaign, like, fuck, it's this horrible, nasty thing from outer space. Um, but until you sort that out, it's like, OK, these are the different calling cards. and You start gathering information together. The players may not even understand 100 percent what it is that they're trying to go up against or stop at the tail end of it. But they know that we're on the right track because there's more feathers there's more black ooze, there's more dead bodies, there's more X and more of Y. We're totally in the right place that a lot of a
0: good. lot of science fiction based movies that are on the suspense side of things really capture a lot of this stuff. Two of them that come to mind is um <laughs> two of them that come to mind. Whoop, and right out the brain is the alien yeah, the movie Alien, the original. And then I would say the John is The Thing. You know, I've not seen The Thing. I need to see
1: oh, that. Man. I need to see that. That's one of the classics be- I got to see.
0: Because the way those things start, in a majority of those, right, even modern-day science fiction where you go to the movie theater and you're looking at whatever movie, you know, whatever, you know it's going to be a little wacky twist, right? They're on a space station, everything's hunky-dory, and then all shit hits the fan. Or it's slowly turns into something really strange and there's a mystery that starts to occur and then all shit hits the fan as things kind of ramp up and climax and hit some highs and i think a lot of that has to do if you watch some of those and you incorporate those somebody some of those into your game so if it's you know they show out a crime scene and there's kind of this goofy snot somewhere right and they kind of take it as a sample and they it's nothing that any forensics person is going to un- be able to identify scientifically. And then all of a sudden it kind of comes up more often. And you know, it's,
1: absolutely no, absolutely that those are great things that you've pe- got a physical people thing. People start
0: NBC's start acting strangely. Like you've known them, you've worked with them. They have a certain kind of personality. And then all of a sudden their personality starts to change a little bit, but it, maybe it's not all the time. So the Joker of the NPCs, thats always kind of levity, you know, all about about the lightness and and cracking jokes. All of a sudden starts in a conversation being serious and then starts to crack a joke.
1: Yep. I love the segue in the NPCs, man. You're dead on because the characters, the players and the characters, they see what their characters see. Well, the NPCs also have a lens, right? So those NPCs see the world. And they react a certain way. If the NPCs are actually involved in the supernatural horror, one of the coolest things to do is they know as much or more than the players than the characters. I, I, when you mention aliens, it reminds me of they mostly come at night, mostly. From the second aliens movie, they meet Newt, this little girl. Spoilers: who's living on this freaking planet? There's aliens everywhere. It's a horrible. The Marines come in and they get chewed up, and this little girl survives forever in this thing, and that's her statement. You know, it's getting dark out. They mostly come at night, mostly. She knows more about these creatures than the Marines. than the woman who survived the first movie, she knows more about them right here. And she drops that tidbit. And then suddenly, oh, my God, it's not just us. When the characters realize it's not just them, they have NPCs that are also in the know. Whether those NPCs can be trusted or not, different story. And then when you, you flip it and you have the NPCs who are not involved. Right, or at least initially not involved. And this is what I think, Sean, you're getting at, right? You've got the person, they have no idea what's going on. They don't believe you. Um, they explained everything away. Like it's totally possible. I just to, so I didn't I remember. I remembered this, you know. I had a group of <coughs> cannibalistic, mutant, horrible things that were attacking people and they were talking to the cops and all this stuff. And everybody's like, look, it's just some homeless guy hopped up on PCP. It's not some cannibalistic ghoul monster. That's not, that doesn't even make sense. Explaining everything away with shitty logic but they believe it 100%. And the cool part though is as soon as that NPC you can either get him to become a believer, the player's finally turn that that the the corner, right? She finally believes what Sean and everybody has been saying. They're like, "Look, here's the deal." And she goes, "Oh my god, my eyes are open. This is amazing. You know what I'm going to do? We're going to go right into the in the freezer right now. I'm going to pull that corpse out. I'm going to do a full autopsy just like you guys wanted." That sounds good. Off you go, Sarah. She goes in there. She shuts the door. You hear a scream, a blood curdling scream. You know, just this horrible rending sound. PC's run in, and she's dead. The corpse has risen up. It's tearing her liver out and eating it. Oh, my God. It's just like everything else happened. You dispatch the monster. But now the characters are the reason she's dead. She would have been totally alive and totally happy, never believing But as soon as they force the issue, and Sally, the coroner, believed them, and she said, you know what? I'm going to help you. I'm going to go do this because you guys got me on board. I'm here for you. I'm going to go in the other room and get my liver torn out and eaten. Then the characters (laughs) kind of look at you. The players look at you and go, ah, fuck. Who else did we tell this to? Oh, shit, I told my mom. Oh, crap, I I told my girlfriend. Oh, shit, I told the guys at the precinct. When the when the NPC non-believer becomes a believer, you don't do it too often, but every once in a while, you just fucking kill them in a horrible, nasty format, and the players look at you and they're like, oh, shit, because now the horror is coming home. It's coming closer. It's not just you and little bubble. Like, well, it's just those player characters, and that's fine. Well, a couple NPCs. This NPC was your friend. You finally got the coroner to look at the bodies the way you've been begging him to because of all this evidence you've been bringing. Look at this vial of stuff. Look at this violet. I did that to Sean and the guys. I killed the coroner. I <laughs> yeah, he did. He was a really nice guy, too, until he got killed. And I went, ah, oh, fuck. It became personal. And the horror comes home to the characters at that point.
0: And the horror comes, comes home. home.
1: <laughs> The
0: characters at that
1: point, but don't forget the NPCs, their vision, whether they are in the know or not in the know, all their perspectives in helping characters question their own sanity when they finally go to that priest who's always provides solace, and the priest and Father, you know Mulcahy, he looks at him and goes, "There's nothing there. I don't know what you're talking about. That no one is. There's nothing. I don't know what you mean. I don't understand it." You talk to your your playing kids, you go to talk to your mom and everything's fine. What do you mean everything's fine? It doesn't make any sense. Oh my god, the world is not behaving the way it should. People are not seeing the same things you are. It's just it that that is one more way to help twist that the reality of everything.
0: Fucking game over, man.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Game over, man. <laughs>
1: All right. I think we've hit it. I think we did. So, um Chris Lang, if we missed it if this was absolutely no use, or you have more questions, let us know, man. I don't I'd hate to think that Sean and I tried uh tried our best and did our worst. So <laughs> let us know if we came anywhere close. And if anybody else has good ideas, better ideas, or thoughts around this, as always, let us know what you got.
0: Die roll.
1: All right, Brett. Looks like you got one. Yeah. Got a few from listeners. Yeah, the latest thing I've been seeing is Cubicle 7 is going to be doing the next Warhammer fantasy role-playing game. What? Or apparently games. It looks like there's going to be a Warhammer fantasy game, fantasy role-playing game, and then a Warhammer fantasy game in the Age of Sigmar. So if you know anything about the Warhammer fantasy setting, there's the kind of the original setting, if you will, and then the rebooted Age of Sigmar. If this doesn't mean shit to you, I apologize. I won't take any more of your time. But as a guy who likes Warhammer, first and second edition, I've never played third. And uh, knowing we've got some listeners out there, um, you know, looking at you, Roger Braslett and Motusano and a few other folks out there, uh, Mr. Stone, um, that are big Warhammer guys. The fact that Warhammer role-playing isn't dead is always interesting to me because um, I like I like the setting. I usually like the system, so I'm curious to see what comes out of it. I don't know if Cubicle 7, what they're going to do with it. I've only started cursorily looking into it, but it has me interested. I will say that. Over to you, Sean.
0: All right, so listeners, Kevin Lovecraft uh, provides a link to terrifying driftwood humanoids that will haunt your dreams.
1: Speaking of supernatural horror.
0: Yeah, check that out. A little inspiration for your game. Those things are creepy-ass looking. <laughs> and then the next one, Shane Freeman, comes across a large map of Whitechapel circa 1888. So he was looking for a map, I think, for a call a Cthulhu game or a, uh, Victorian era game. And he came across this map, which was pretty cool. And you are certainly welcome to check it out and download. It's pretty big. And certainly will do the trick for either one of those types of setting eras era. Um, Ezreal Orocha points out an article by Mike Shea that analyzes advice comments to players of five E D and D. So this is hard to explain because Mike is actually referring to another component or piece that somebody was doing. But essentially, there was a question posed on Reddit that said, hey, what advice would you give a
1: D&D player? In, for, and, in four words or less.
0: In four words or less. And it would be, do this, don't do that. And so they analyzed all the do's and all the don'ts. And then they made a mind map and all the relative... um physical layouts of those words to kind of do some crazy analytics on some of the advice. Uh, and it's pretty interesting. So I would check it out if you, if you have some, especially yeah. if you're kind of a statistic analytic
1: junkie. Yeah. I mean, it's got statements listed from don't split the parties. Don't be a dick. Don't wake the dragon. It's probably a mimic when in doubt, fireball <laughs> plus some other cool shit in there. Right. What's fun is when, if you, if you play D and D or fantasy gaming in general, if you've been into it, that's, it's interesting, interesting to me to read this stuff. Always trust a flump um some of it is is cliche, right, you know, but some of it is like yeah, that's that's actually quite true. I mean, if you get past the cliche component of it is you know just have fun, yeah, I mean, honestly, fuck yeah, it's a game, and we're supposed to be having fun, that's why we're here, so yeah, cool. speak speaking
0: of having fun, Brett, yes. GameholeCon is coming in November, the first weekend of, which is going to be loads of fun. Of course, it is. I heard they truck it in by the the butt the the boatload. Of course
1: they do. They've got like two uh like two complete things of uh true dungeon. Where you know you know what we're gonna do next week? We got Alex Camera on the show. What? Yeah, we're gonna what? If you've listened to us before, and if you haven't, of course you've you've started at one and worked your way to now, of course, which is what you've done. You've heard Alex on the show before. And they've got a uh, kid's track for gaming at the at, uh, Game the 2017. And, you know, we're going to get the latest and greatest from Alex around some of the coolness that's coming. I'm sure he's got, you know, more guests he can shake a stick at. He's got True Dungeon all over the place or whatever he's doing there. So there's going to be some cool shit. And uh, it's about time we get Alex back on the show here, get his insights. And, again, I want to figure out what he's doing with this kid's track of gaming. Because, selfishly speaking, if he's got a good thing, I have... Uh, Stolen more of his good ideas and used them for EverCon than I care to admit. So yeah, one well, we'll see what he's got cooking.
0: So if you're interested to know more about GameholeCon, Con, visit gameholecon dot com mm-hmm. for more information. Get on their mailing list; they're going to give you updates and let you know what's coming. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be huge. You're going to be there. It's going to be fun. A lot of gaming, tons. games everywhere. Tons of good, g-
1: awesome g- games. Tons of good people are coming. We got a lot of listeners that always show up. Uh, it's gonna be fun. It'll be a hell of a good time.
0: I wanna. I should. Uh. Yeah. I was gonna say I should pay a a impersonator. No. To do, to, all right, Brett. Then I'll have to do no. it. No. What?
1: I don't, be, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say no to all of it. Can it's gonna be I'm, a lot of games. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be huge. Trying to say no to everything you're doing right now. <laughs> anyway. So I mean. as Brett alluded
0: to. Next week, we're talking to Alex Cammer. What specifically are we talking about?
1: I want to talk about the why and how for the kids gaming track that they've built for 2017 this year. I want to see kind of what brought him to it. I mean, does he have? do he have the numbers? Does he have the demand? How are they? And how are they doing it? I have um, you and I have talked about doing a couple different things. I think this kind of sings to you talked about you know <clears throat> maybe getting a, a, a club set up at a library or something. I've run games for my kids and some of their friends now a few different times at the gaming club in my hometown, which is how I got involved in Evercon and the kids that are there just trying to get more information around it. Because I think, I mean, obviously I love this hobby. It's fucking awesome. And, um, I think more kids should do it. And if Alex has got some good info there, I want to see how he's doing it. And if this is a cool thing, then uh, what do we have to do to help other conventions figure out what's going down? Let's, you know, figure out what he did, pick his brain, spread the word.
0: I, uh, you know, it's funny you bring that up, and I know this is a little bit of a tangent. We're wrapping things up, but I can't help but bring this bring this to mind. There is a woman um, on Twitter that I said I tweeted this tweet. It said, "Thinking about playing Dungeons and Dragons," and I hashed out Dungeons and Dragons, and it's linked to a link um, at inquisitor.com. dot um, and I'll make sure I put this in the show notes. But it, there was an article d- done by John Bard. That says, hey, here's some of the things, here's the pros and here's the cons. And it's definitely not for our audience that already is in the RPG space. But this Meryl, um, she says, she replies, Hubs, and Meryl is, just to give her a Twitter kind of background, digital marketer, writer, social media, hearing free tech, blah, 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 and a bunch of other, she's out of Plano, Texas. But I don't know her, I don't follow her. And she says, Hubs is a and and still have, she says, still have the books. And my response was, awesome. He still plays? Yes. Actually, no. Got married and had a family. Priorities. And I said, so he doesn't bowl, play golf, watch sports, fish, hunt, or anything else besides family? And her response was, well, when he played D&D, his full-time job was student. He's active in other things like Boy Scouts, right? Definitely good stuff. I said, oh man, he could have taught and played with the kids. Bummer. Well, it's just, it's never too late. Just saying. Yes. And then, and then she replied, think he talked to our youngest about it. Uh, the science nerd never know. And I said, oh, that would be great. Many of us learn from our older siblings slash friends. We're first generation that could teach our own kids. Right. And Brett, Brett's done that. So when she kind of engaged me at, it really it just it started out kind of like, oh, cool, it's an old, you know, old D D gamer or whatever, still has the books, got away from it, hasn't played it. I'm like, why why? Why? I don't understand you know, maybe they just fell out of it. I get it. Right. Well, I, mean, I did that.
1: You, you fell out for a while too, yeah. It's I did. The cool thing about this hobby though, man, is that you can pick it up whenever you feel like it. Yeah. If you want to put it down and you say, you know what, man, I really wish I could play d and d again, or Redbox, or Holmes D&D, like I used to. You totally fucking can. There's nothing that says that old game you used to play can't be the game you teach your kids. There's nothing that says that can't be the game you get online and hang out with or find people who want to play it. Yeah, maybe more people are still playing 5e than are playing 3e or 2nd Edition, if that was your bag, or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and other strains, whatever the fuck you were playing. Somebody you can still play it. There's no reason you can't those those rules are not bad. they're not stale. they didn't you know they're they're not useless. you know it's not like popcorn that just goes bad. <laughs> it's still good. you can always come back and you know for the most part, most gamers, at least especially our listeners and so on we are our listeners are good people. You want a game, Our listeners will help you game. They're good people,
0: yeah, I just thought it was kind of you know like out of the blue, and I'm like, oh my god, this i it's so it just filled my heart heart with sorrow that that he just has this opportunity to maybe maybe he doesn't like it maybe it doesn't interest him totally get it. but if there was and and people do grow out of, it,
1: people do grow out of hobbies I mean I, they do you, yeah, people absolutely. used to do you know model cars or model airplanes and glue and stuff together and they quit they don't want to do it, you know.
0: It I have to do that
1: shit. That's true. Yeah, and it happens. Sometimes you grow out a I'm going to go out and
0: buy a model car tomorrow and fucking glue it together, <laughs> man. Of course you will. I'm going to whip out my stamps, dude, and I'm going to start freaking...
1: Flattling. Okay.
0: Yeah. I was a big... I was... There you go, man. Uber nerd, man. Stamp collecting. You serious? You did stamp collecting? Yeah, I still have them. Wow. Holy well, God. I don't think I did it the right way because I was so young I would just get a shit ton of stamps, and if they were cool and they were marked, right, if they're marked, they're not worth shit. Yeah, but I put them in little books and stuff.
1: You know what though? I mean, that's it's one more thing. Like between, I mean, what you just said there—it doesn't. You're not doing it wrong. Were you having fun? Yeah, fuck it, whatever, man. It's a hobby. Right, right. You're doing the it's hobby good. wrong. Fuck you, whatever. I'm having fun.
0: That's right. Well, hey, let's freaking put this in the can, man. Uh, this has been another episode of Gaming NBS. I'm one of your hosts, Sean,
1: and I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all.
0: This episode of Gaming NBS brought to you with the help from the following patrons: Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Jeff Rottamaker, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Jason Blaylock, Remy Billado, Jason Hobbs, Hobbs, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, Not Caprio, Pure Mangrove, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tasaka, Brett Pazinski, Tim Shorts, Dan Lavalley, C.W. Mellencamp. Craig Huber, Eli Kurtz, The Lost Sailor, Graham Miner, Todd McGowan, Roger Braslett, Misdirected Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason, Christopher Gray, Stefan Dragonspawn, Finolf, Ray Otis, Mirko Freilich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Jared Rasher, Jared Lytle, Todd Crapper, Michael Parker, Jim Fitzpatrick, Michael Drescher, with Static, Alexander Auerbach, Rodrigo Beowulf, Neil Benson, Ron Blessing, Evan harrison Cass, Chris Steele, and Eric the Hoff Hoffman. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you could support the show for an entire month. Consider heading to GamingMBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, listeners. This has been a Litterbox Litterbox Studio production. production.